Hello, and welcome back to Wandering the Edge, a podcast about Ukrainian history without a spot of travel. I'm your host, Larissa, and today uh, we'll be taking a look at a very sad but important military defeat in Ukrainian history. But first, let's get through the introductions. I may swear in this episode, and if you are listening on Podcast Addict or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review or just rate it. Uh, you can also find us on a number of streaming sites, including but not limited to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and of course, the website wanderingtheedge.net, where you can check out any of the previous episodes and sources. Now, um, if there wasn't a full-scale war going on in Ukraine, I would probably tell you to visit the place where today's episode is based in. But, you know, Russia invaded and I can't. But if you did want to go there, uh, the memorial complex is pretty impressive. The lone column dedicated to the fall um, of these units looks like the red columns that engulf the entrance of the Tarashevchenko University in Kiev, where the majority of the students who fell during that day uh, went to school. The train wagons that flank the uh, monument are exhibits themselves, but actually have exhibits in them about the battle, and there's even a cross-shaped lake that was created for the complex. Now, all of this was only just created not even 20 years ago, um, all for those who fell in January 1918 at the Battle of Krute, a Ukrainian Thermopylae, when a few stood against immeasurable odds. So when trying to construct the structure of this episode, I had to figure out how much backstory to give you. But I also want to dedicate a separate episode about the first Ukrainian independence in 1918. So in order to save my breath, I will give you a background on the Russian side of the fall of the Russian Empire, and not so much like an in-depth analysis of how Ukraine declared independence. And after that, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the Battle of Krute. But I also want to add that the majority of information for this episode came from a great online historical journal, Istorichna uh, Pravda, which was like has a whole section dedicated just to this Battle of Krute. It's a great Ukrainian journal, and it's for free. So the First World War erupted in 1914, obviously, for numerous reasons that are all sort of tied to alliances and nationalism. And the Russian Empire at that time was formally allied with England, but also had relations with Germany since they were all ruled by Queen Victoria's grandchildren or something. Anyway, Russia and England fought against Germany and Austria. Also, Serbia is important in all of this. Uh, but for a great podcast about the First World War, you can listen to Dan Carlin's Blueprint for Armageddon, which is amazing. Anyway, Russia is now involved with a war that stretches across Europe, and it honestly went okay, and then went not that great, and then everything was in a stalemate since, you know, trench warfare. Now, at home, the Tsar Nicholas II also sort of sucked. Like most absolute monarchs, he didn't really know how to rule well, he just ruled. Anyway, as an absolute monarch, he also believed he knew best militarily. 
even when he didn't. And so by early 1917, Russia lost about 1.7 million soldiers, 15 million men were forced away from their farms, and prices for food skyrocketed. Their military hardware dwindled, and as well as their food supplies. The civilian and military class were all pissed, and there was mass discontent against the monarchy. And so in February 1917, there were riots in St. Petersburg, the capital of the empire at the time. And the police clashed with protesters. And so in early March, good old Nicky abdicates in favor of Alexei, his sick young son, which would have been a fucking disaster, uh, and then named his brother Michael as new emperor. Michael was like, mm, fuck no, thank you. And then a provisional government was created. Now, the provisional or temporary government was disorganized from the get-go. They tried to organize elections, but with the world war going on, they don't, that doesn't really work well. The military was also severely disorganized at this point. The actual government also couldn't really rule properly because of the political uh, factionalism and complete breakdown of state structures. In its short eight-month existence, there were three ruling coalition governments. The worst part was that they basically ignored all of their national minorities who wanted independence, which, you know, fair, because of the war and some other stuff. And so in October, there was another revolution, the Great October Socialist Revolution. And with that, the Bolsheviks under Lenin, who then turned into the Soviets, were in charge. Now, if you thought Lenin wasn't an imperialist asshole, you would be wrong. And and while he basically couldn't or didn't want to do shit when Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia declared independence, he did care about Ukraine. And if I still had my essay written way back in my undergrad years proving that Lenin was an imperialist by using Lenin's own word words, I would have regaled you with some great quotes, but I lost that essay, which sucks because I was on it was honestly so good I still remember it to this day. Anyway. Basically, Lenin wanted Ukraine. Yes, because of his so-called proletariat revolution, which in all honesty, the man wasn't working class himself, nor were any of the big communist theorists at the time. Anyway, some of my favorite Lenin quotes that basically describe why the Bolsheviks wanted Ukraine are all from his Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism um, book from 1916. Quote, Certain relations are established between political alliances between states on the basis of the territorial division of the world, of the struggle for colonies, of the struggle for economic territory, end quote. Or, quote, monopolies are most firmly established when all the sources of raw materials are controlled by the one group, quote, end quote, which, you know, was what happened when Soviets took over. Or this wonderful quote. The characteristic feature of imperialism is precisely that it strives to annex not only agricultural regions, but even highly industrialized regions, end quote. Anyway, there's an argument that is made that without Ukraine, Russia would have starved. But that's also bullshit, since a lot of Russian territory is agriculturally arable land. Ukraine has minerals and other stuff, so does Russia, though. He could have easily just said, cool, you want independence? have it. We can work together to create a true proletariat utopia. But nope, invasion it was. And so in mid-January 1918, 
The Petrograd Soviet People's Committee, which was the ruling committee in St. Petersburg, which they called Petrograd, it's stupid, but whatever. Anyways, they launched a full-scale offensive against the Ukrainian People's Republic, who declared their full independence from Russia on January 22, 1918. And so the Red Army advanced from the east. Vladimir Antonov Ovsinko was leading from the Kharkiv region, and Mikhailo Muria, Mu, oh my God, Mura, Muravyov, there it goes, was from the Poltava region. Um, Antonov uh, Osinko was actually an ethnic Ukrainian who really believed that communist bullshit and so commanded their army against Kiev. He would subsequently take the side of Trotsky against Stalin, survive that, and become instrumental in the first Moscow show trials and the Spanish Civil War, and then end up dead anyways because of the Great Terror. But the other commander is today's special person. Muravyov would be the one attacking the Ukrainians at Krute, and he was a teeter-totter right up to the end. He began in the Tsarist army, joined the leftist socialist revolutionaries, uh, then when that didn't pan out, uh, he went into the Red Guards, which were in the Red Army, and led their forces into Ukraine, then left them to go to the Socialists, where he was captured and shot by the Bolsheviks. He was also an asshole. So the Soviet advance from Poltava was under the so-called First Revolutionary Army, which had divisions from Petrograd, so St. Petersburg, Moscow, and Tver. And they were joined around Bakhmach, which is a town near Krute in the Chernihiv Oblast, by the Second Revolutionary Army, which were forces from Gomel in Belarus and some Baltic sailors. Muryavov said this to his soldiers before they began advancing toward uh, Kiev. Quote, our, combat <coughs> sorry, our combat task is to take Kiev. There is nothing to feel sorry for the residents of Kiev. They tolerated the Haidamaks, i.e. Ukrainians, let them know us and receive our retribution. No pity for them. They will pay with blood. If necessary, then we will leave no stone unturned. End quote. Now, against this 6,000 force stood the 500 Ukrainian students of the first student company under Petro um, Omel Omelchenko, the cadet corpse of the first Ukrainian military school of Bogdan Khmelnytsky under. Um, Averki Honcharenko, and the Klushiv Free Cossacks under Captain Timchenko, who also had two armored um, trains with them. Their main goal was to basically delay and ideally stop this Bolshevik advance enough so that the forces led by Simon Petlura could suppress the Bolshevik uprising at the Kiev arsenal plant that was taking place in the capital. And when the situation became critical in the capital, the youth took it upon themselves to set up this defense against the Red Advance. And so they called a meeting of the students of the St. Voldemort University, now the Tarashevchenko University, and the newly formed State University, and they decided to create a student battalion. They were joined by high school students of the Kirillo Metodi Brotherhood High School on January 5th. They printed an appeal in cave newspapers, which said this, quote, A terrible time has come for our motherland. Like a black hornet, the Russian Bolshevik robber horde besieged our Ukraine, which made new conquests almost every day, and Ukraine, cut off from everywhere, may eventually find itself in a very difficult situation. 
At this time, the Ukrainian faction of the Center of the University of St. Voldemir calls on Ukrainian students of all higher schools to immediately come to the aid of their country and people. Unanimously stand under the banner of the fighters for the freedom of Ukraine against the aggressors who want to suppress everything that we have gained through long, hard, heroic work. It is necessary to stop, at all costs, the march that can lead Ukraine to a terrible ruin and lasting decline. Let every Ukrainian student remember, at this time, it is a crime to be indifferent. Sign up for the Sitrovistotsi Kuren, uh, sorry, which is formed from students of the University of St. Voldemir and the U Ukrainian National University, from where we will be uh, distributed among some Ukrainian military units to raise cultural and national consciousness and courage, end quote. Now, while only a few hundred students joined, this appeal to Ukrainian students wasn't new. At the same time as this, Simon Petluda went to the second Ukrainian military school to recruit to his own unit of Haidamatsky Kosh. It was here that he took the stage and said this, quote, The future of free Ukraine, young men, is today, not later or in a year. The fate of our motherland is in your hands. Today or never, you can protect Ukrainian freedom and accomplish a miracle. Four days ago, the Bolshevik tyranny destroyed the last hope of all honest citizens of the Russian Republic. They dispersed the Constitu Constituent Assembly in Petrograd. The crackdown was accompanied by the shooting of, dem of a demonstration of the capital's po uh, population and the murder of deputies of the Constituent Assembly. If the Bolsheviks enter Kiev, they will also prevent the meeting of the Ukrainian constituent diet, which, as you know, is scheduled for the end of January. The Bolsheviks will shoot our officers, as they did in Kharkiv in December. They will kill your family and friends. They will turn you into slaves and second-class people. You will be afraid of your own shadow. Only you can protect the eternal slogans. Freedom, equality, fraternity. There are no forces at the front now to stop the Red Horde. I believe that only young lions with the cry glory to Ukraine will go to the machine guns. They will be able to change the course of history. I have already gathered in Kiev the Haidamak Kish of the Slobod Ukraina, which will liberate the east of our republic. If you believe me, if you feel responsible for Ukraine, you will stand under my banner. Freedom or death, homeland or death, end quote. Now, the Ukrainian army's units were stretched thin by this point, and so students were being used as reinforcements. And at around four in the morning on January 29th, the first students of the first Ukrainian military school began arriving in Krute, a village that just so happened to be at a railway intersection that could theoretically stop the Bolshevik advance. I mean, if they had enough support. Now, Captain Timchenko was actually going to withdraw his forces from Krute to Nizhen, a town nearby, because of his lack of forces and an overwhelming force against them. But when he heard that the students were coming, he stayed in place. This is how the students departed for the front. Quote. Boarding was quite calm, except for that, for that at the last moment, Mrs. Lukasevich, the wife of a deceased, cried, trying to persuade her son to stay but of course to no avail. The sister of Sokolevsky, another sixth grader, behaved more calmly. Barely holding back her tears, she baptized her brother and all those leaving. Young Sokolevsky cheerfully reassured his sister, not realizing that in a couple of days he would be lying on the station platform with his head, head pierced by a Moscow bayonet. 
to the chant, Ukraine is not yet dead, the echelon moved north, quote. And so the students arrived at Krute. Now, Honcharenko's cadets were actually retreating from Bakhmach, a town east of Krute, and were already at Krute by, by January 28th and took positions not far from the actual Krute train station. On the right flank, they had an uh, artificial obstacle of a railway track embankment, and on the left, they began to dig trenches and build up fortifications. The battle began on January 30th at around 9 in the morning, and while the Bolshevik artillery fired at the Ukrainians, their aim wasn't great, uh, and their advance was actually held back by the Ukrainians who repelled several attacks. This day's battle lasted about 10 hours, and the first student's company's leader, Amolchenko, was wounded and died on his way back to Kiev. The Bolsheviks only now realized that they wouldn't be in for an easy victory. This is how one Red Guardsman described the day, quote, Fields, arable land, muck, it's hard to walk. There are no trenches, and on the enemy side there are trenches, and in addition, the enemy had a considerable number of machine guns. The shooting starts. The front is wide. It is difficult to keep in touch with the flanks. We pressed forward. The enemy fired back with machine guns. We had wounded and killed. The Red Cross was there, right there, but... There was no time to bandage anything. It was necessary to go forward. Approaching the station, each of us clearly heard the groans of our comrades who were falling from any fire. End quote. Good. Fuckers. At around 7 in the evening, though, the Ukrainians received a telegram that the Tarashevchenko regiment in Nizhin openly declared their support for the Soviets. Which? Fucking Ukrainians. And so, with the threat of a double front, Honchenko ordered a gradual withdrawal. With the first military school covering the retreat of the rest of the troops as the Red Guard finally managed to convince their soldiers to attack on the right flank. The wagons taking them back to Kiev were overflowing with wounded. What's also sad is that Simon Petluda's larger detachment was actually located pretty close to their position and were about to come to their aid when the arsenal plant uprising occurred in Kiev and they had to run back to the capital. Which again, fucking Ukrainians can't just fucking unite against a clearly fucking greater threat, now can they? The saddest episode of this day was the loss of 30 soldier reconnaissance unit, who were all students and went missing. They, it turned out, were captured when they began coming back to the Kruta station, which was now occupied by the Red Guards. Their lone officer was immediately shot. And on the next day, on January 31st, the Reds ordered their immediate killing because they were pissed off that 300 of their soldiers were dead in one day against the Ukrainians. A Bolshevik described it in this way, quote, The next day, when we were leaving the Kruta station, the train stopped along the way by order of Egedov. All the detainees were taken out of the car and 300 steps away from the train. They were shot with explosive bullets, end quote. One of those shot was Grigory Pipsky, a 19-year-old from the second Ukrainian high school who began to sing the Ukrainian national anthem before the shooting began and the others joined in the singing. The Bolsheviks hunted all of those who were involved with the battle. One Ukrainian managed to flee to a nearby village, and when the Red Guards found him, they pulled him out from under the stover he was hiding, beat him, took him back to where his fellow Ukrainians were laying dead, and shot him there. The local population weren't allowed to touch the fallen Ukrainian soldiers for several weeks. Ukrainian culture is fascinating, isn't it? The food, the music, the dance, the food, the clothing, the art. Did I mention the food? And especially the history. 
It's something that doesn't get the attention it deserves. Something else that doesn't get enough attention in our culture is the history of the Eastern Front of the Second World War, a war fought largely on Ukrainian soil, a war that swallowed up tens of millions of people in many countries, battles that dwarfed D-Day and the Battle of the Bulge, a war that redrew the world's borders, and a war that echoes in Ukraine right now. I'm Scott Bray, author, honorary Ukrainian, and podcaster of Beyond Barbarossa, first English-language podcast in the world that focuses on the Eastern Front of World War II. Every episode, I go deep into the events as they unfolded eight decades ago. Regularly, guests join to share their expert knowledge and reflections on the war. So, if you're interested in learning more about history, won't you join me for this in-depth tour of the biggest part of the war that shaped the world we inhabit today? You can find Beyond Barbarossa on your preferred podcasting platform. And, since you're listening to Wandering the Edge, I know you can spell Barbarossa. So, who were these Ukrainians who tried to hold up against a larger force? Yes, most were students, and the losses included many of them, but there were also survivors. Claudia Ocheretko, for example, was a nurse at the battle and fled into exile afterward. Ivan Mitrus, who was a Ukrainian from the Kuban region, was expelled from the cadet corps in Tiflis for being a Ukrainian, joined the Ukrainian armies of the post-First World War, and then had a contract with the Polish army from 1928. He was then captured by the Germans in 1939, and after his release joined the Polish Home Army and died during the Warsaw Uprising. There was also Dr. Olena Kobitska, who, after being a nurse in the UNR army at the Battle of Krute, was in Polish captivity in Kolomea, moved to the Czech Republic, and became a specialist of internal medicine there. Rudolf Yakiv Fedyuk uh, Fedorovich was part of the Zaporizhia division during the Crimean campaign of 1918, even though he was from Lviv. Then was part of the insurgent struggle against the Bolsheviks after Krute, emigrated to Canada in 1932, was part of the Canadian Armed Forces during the Second World War and the Korean War. And finally, there was Ivan Shadi, who, after Krute, was a leader of an insurgent unit in Holodnyad from 1920 to 1923 under the name uh, nom de god of Ivan the Black. He then moved to Kiev, taught Ukrainian, was a director of the Kiev House of Scientists, arrested in 1929 and shot a year later by the Bolsheviks. There were hundreds more Ukrainians who lived after the war, and most were outstanding Ukrainians in their own communities. And while Krute was a loss... Their losses became immortalized as Ukraine's struggle against Russian occupation and aggression. The Soviets um, basically tried to subvert everything about the battle. And so it was the Central Rada who began this heroic idealization when they returned to Kiev in March 1918. It was in that month that they established a commission to chronicle um, everything that happened at Krutin. And on March 19th, there was a reburial of 18 students who died at Krute. The press took this up and covered it widely. The ceremony began at 2 in the afternoon at the railway station, where politicians, military personnel, family, clergy, and other students met the bodies of the deceased. A memorial service was then held by cave bishop Nikodin. The funeral procession then moved to Volodymyr Cathedral, where Mihailo Hrushevsky, the leader of the Central Rada, 
made a speech that began with the Latin of, It is sweet and beautiful to die for the motherland. He then went on, quote, It is a great happiness to die like this, in the struggle, and not as deserters, not neutral, not involved in the crowd, cowards who are trying to slip into the new kingdom of Ukrainian freedom as free passengers, end quote. So he was not mincing words. The procession that ended at Askold's grave where the dead were buried. And if you know Kiev, this was literally from one end of the city center to the other. The newspaper Novarada put out this description of the funeral the day after, quote, Yesterday a funeral was held for students and high school students who chivalrously laid down their heads defending Ukraine from the attack of the nor northern barbarians. Around two o'clock in the afternoon, the funeral march left the station. Simple wooden blue coffins were placed two at a time on wagon platforms. The clergy, the student choir under the Koshitsa cannon, a military band, military units, and the power of the people took part in the campaign. The procession was met by the government near the building of the Central Rada, members of the council headed by Professor Hrushevsky, and the ministers headed by V. Holubovich. The procession stopped. Professor Hrushevsky spoke in something, in something like this. Dulce et decorum pro patria mori. It is sweet and beautiful to die for the motherland, as these sons and brothers of ours died, who laid down their heads defending their native land from enemies. Just today, when the central rada was sitting, they began to tear down this two-headed eagle, the symbol of the autocracy, this stained slavery in which Ukraine was in for so many centuries. But this operation to destroy slavery could not pass without blood, and blood was shed. Happy are those who testified their love for their native land with their blood. Glory to them and eternal peace. In addition to Mr. Hrushevsky, members of the Central Rada, O. Stepanenko, and a representative of the Ottoman of the Siege Riflemen also spoke. Then the march moved along Fundoklevska, Prushatik, Oleksandrivska streets to the Askold grave. Here, above the Dnipro, uh, Dnipro steeps, the loyal sons of free Ukraine were laid to rest. Various delegations laid many wreaths and fresh flowers on the graves, end quote. And while these 18 were buried in central Kiev, at least two others, Voldemir uh, Namovich and Voldemir Shulhin, were buried in the same coffin in, in the Namovich family plot because before they died, they hugged each other. And that is how their frozen bodies were exhumed. Others were buried by their own families. However, the majority were buried in a mass grave that is yet to be precisely pinpointed. There is a theory they are buried in a mass grave in the area of Zvirinets, oh my god, Zvirinets, which is just outside of Kiev, as it is the burial place for the soldiers who died on the First World War front lines. It was the work of the Central Rada, and in particular, the brilliance of Mihailo Khrushchevsky, that cemented the heroes of Kruta in the minds of Ukrainians by organizing these rituals of commemoration. These rituals were then recreated outside of Soviet Ukraine in 1918, sorry, 1919. The Croatian Ukrainians in Zagreb published a brochure about it and began to celebrate the anniversary of the Battle of Krute. This anniversary would then be celebrated by almost every Ukrainian diaspora community, even today. Plast in western Ukraine, which was under Poland, taught their young members about the heroic battle of, quote, ardent Ukrainian souls stubbornly putting the construction of our statehood along the right path, on a path of a stubborn, firm, sacrificial fight against the enemy, end quote. 
In Soviet historical literature, it was completely ignored or minimalized. In 1934, the Soviet authorities destroyed the cemetery at Askold Grave and reburied the remains in Lukyanyev Cemetery. An official commemoration monument to the Kruta heroes was replaced only in 2012 at Askold Grave and was actually put up by ordinary citizens rather than the state. This was despite the Soviet attempt to stamp it out of historical memory altogether. And this just showed that the memory of those students survived even with official state silence for more than 70 years. For example, in the 1967 three-volume work entitled Ukrainian SSR During the Civil War, there was only one sentence dedicated to it. In 1987, that's like five years before the USSR collapsed, by the way, encyclopedic publications about the Civil War in Ukraine wrote this about Krute, quote, A fierce battle between Soviet unions and the troops of the Ukrainian bourgeois nationalist counter-revolution, end quote. That's it. That's, that's all it said. It wasn't until after 1991 that Kruta began to be commemorated openly throughout all of Ukraine. This began with the state insignia. In 1992, for example, Mykola Plavyuk, the president in exile of the Ukrainian National Republic, yes, there has been presence of the UNR since the 1920s in exile, he transferred the insignia of his office to the first president of independent Ukraine, Leonid Kravchuk. This also occurred with the almost immediate dissolution of the mythology of the great October Socialist Revolution in order to legitimize Ukrainian independence with a link to the UNR. That is how the trident and the flag, which was of the UNR, became official symbols of Ukraine after 1991. In 2000, Leonid Kuchma uh, abolished the November 7th holiday that celebrated the great October Revolution, which I still think is a state holiday in fucked up Russia. The greatest historical memoration came with Viktor Yushchenko, who inaugurated a museum of the Ukrainian National Republic and built that memorial complex at Krute. The wave of Ukrainian commemoration began, and even the shitty presidency of Yanukovych couldn't stop it. A monument to the declaration of Soviet rule in Ukraine was taken down in the Kharkiv city center, for example. This was significant since Kharkiv was considered the capital of Soviet Ukraine before the Bolsheviks captured Kiev. The heroes of Krute have maintained their heroic sacrifices because they knowingly gave their lives for Ukraine. And while the politicians of that era have had several controversies and problematic issues associated to them, Rushevsky, for example, was a leftist socialist, Petluda was too nationalist and accused of anti-Semitism and pro-Polishness, while others were seen as German puppets and pro-Russian politicians. Those young men, though, were forever immortalized as Ukrainian heroes. No more and no less. From a Russian perspective, the Battle of Krut is seen as a nasty episode of pro-Ukrainian independence resistance to their big brother's imperialistic tendencies. Why would anyone want to resist them when they proclaim to be so great and good to all their citizens? And obviously in this latest war against Russia, they invaded from the same area as before. Almost along the same route as the Red Guards took from the northeasterly location. And obviously came to Krute a little over a hundred years ago, or a hundred years later from the original battle. On March 1st, 2022, there was another battle of Krute between the Russians and the Ukrainian armed forces. However, this time things went a little different. This is this was how um, the Krute's community Facebook page sort of put it. Quote, 
As you know, Kruta is a symbol of the struggle for Ukraine's independence. In 1918, a battle took place here between the army of the Ukrainian People's Republic and the Bolsheviks who were advancing on Kiev. Then, the Ukrainians were forced to retreat. But at the cost of numerous victims, the enemy was detained. After 104 years, Ukrainians and Russians fought again. This time, the Russian army suffered a stunning defeat here. End quote. That's right, those fuckers lost Krutin. And they even had the audacity to not only target a local shop, but also the actual memorial. Soldiers were apparently taking pictures of it before trying to shell it. They lost 200 dead, which were then taken to the Sumo Oblast on two trucks. Now, I don't know if I've managed to convey the importance of the memory of the Kruta heroes. In the diaspora, although we didn't know each of their names, we knew their deeds and actions. We commemorated and, and memorialized their sacrifice. They were the physical manifestation of Ukrainian sacrifice for independence. Kruta for us and for many post-independent Ukrainians was a heartbreaking pain, but one that was needed for Ukraine. I know it sounds insane that we all glorify these fallen heroes, but none of us really expected to be in the same situation a hundred years later. And now because Russia has decided to Ukraine, invade Ukraine, we need help. Please donate to any humanitarian aid relief you can. I've also posted on my website some suggestions. Please remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Wander Edge Ukraine. Check out our website, wanderingtheedge.net, for source information and other interesting extras. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict, uh, please rate and review and leave a comment about anything, even any weird historical tidbit you have about your culture or peoples. And if you're listening on all the other streaming sites, thank you very much. And as always, happy wanderings, my friends, and Slava Ukraini Hiroyam Slava.